Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Hey, welcome again to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast. I'm so glad that you're allowing us to be a part of your life. We hope you are a blessing to you. And uh, my name is uh, Pastor Ian Aram. With me is... Tom Nicholas. And also... Roger Prather. And we are recording this in South Lancaster, Massachusetts. And maybe you're here, maybe you're in another country. And either way, we hope that we are a blessing to you and that this will be time well spent. We are happy to be going through Sabbath School Quarterly called God's Mission, My Mission. It's the quarterly for the month of October, November, December 2023. We are looking at lesson number six. So with that quick introduction, because we have a lot of ground to cover tonight, um, I'm going to ask Tom, would you pray for us as we start? Yes, I would. Dear God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for, for your love for us, which is amazing and huge and pursuant and intentional. And Father, we, we thank you that we can have the opportunity to be here studying your word and, and telling other people about who you are and sharing your character, who you really are with other people. Lord, help us to just, you know, today, you know, as you reveal yourself to us through this podcast, Father, that we may be excited for who you are. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Tom, I thank you for bringing up the word excited, and and that kind of ties in with our lesson today. And it's interesting how, you know, the pastor can get up in the pulpit in any church, any denomination, say, folks, we have this great commission. We need to go out and help you about Jesus Christ. Everybody says, yeah, you know what, you're right. And, but boy, I don't want to. And then... You just put on just enough guilt, just enough guilt to say, all right, I guess I'll, the uncomfort, the discomfort of witnessing my, my neighbor is less than the discomfort I feel from the pastor. So the, the balance tips and they say, uh, you know, they try to bring it up, it's awkward and very, very unnatural. And I think this is one thing that ties in with our lesson here um, on lesson number six about basically the Great Commission is given to people who had great news. I mean, they had met God in the flesh. Man tried to snuff God out, but God comes back. I mean, God comes out of that tomb, and they see him, they hold on to him, they eat with him, and it's like, okay, what do you do now with this news? It's pretty simple. Guys, you know, you know, people don't know this. You got to know about this because this is like life changing. This is world changing. This is like a whole new dimension. And so the memory text comes from uh, Luke 24, 44. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. All things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So that's Jesus knowing what was going to happen, and of course, that ultimately he would come out of the out of the out of the uh, the tomb. And so the lesson brings us to Luke twenty four, and and verses one through twelve. And of course, the cool thing about the resurrection is nobody really expected it, except heaven. You know, it's a surprise. Mary, the other Mary, the disciples, Peter's like, what are you talking about? And they are surprised by God. Surprised by God. And and I think probably the problem with our faith system, and not just ours in this room, but all Christians for the last few hundred years, is how unsurprising Christianity can be. Mm. And it's just, okay, so you get baptized, you pray, 
as they say, pray, pay, and obey. <laughs> you know, that's that's it. And then this is going to open the door when you die. And some people would believe this that when you die, you go to the pearly gates. You get to go to heaven, and it's all set. And we're missing something here. And and uh, I think um, you know we have kind of shot ourselves in the foot, where we have lost that excitement, that organic excitement, and that that was here in the mm-hmm. very very early church, yeah. when you when God surprises. The disciples and Mary and and what and yeah. this is so beautiful, so beautiful. You know, we're, I'm talking with some of my students, with one of my classes, all my classes. You know, about how to how to share the gospel, how to share Jesus with their friends and, and within their context. And one of my freshmen, he said, I, "I I don't know exactly how to share Jesus, but here here's what I know: He's the best thing that's ever happened to me." Amen. He said, "He's the go. best thing that's ever happened to me." But how do I share that? How do I contextualize that to other to other people? Yeah. And I had another young man after we, you know, put on some some music and they, you know, some of the kids just organically cleared the the floor and started dancing in the floor. I'm like, I was like, you know, here's my my old Adventist self, like, oh no, my kids are dancing in the classroom. And, you know, a little nervous. <laughs> but at the, the on the other hand, I the other part of me that isn't old Adventist is excited that these kids are, you know, are 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 being authentic in their worship of God. And as you know, and finally when they're all spent after half an hour, one of the kids he goes, Whoo, he falls back into a chair. He said, Man, why is worshiping God so much fun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I that, that, you know, don't forget that story. Don't expect don't forget that experience. That's yeah. pro, that's profound. Oh, I was just gonna say that's probably the uh the best pitch for Christian education I've heard in a long time. Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. So I like that. I like that. It's and and coming back to you know uh, Luke twenty four again. You know they're going to go to the tomb expecting to prepare the body. You know they didn't have time on Friday. They're going to wrap it up in in the, the the spices and and. Then, of course, there's lightning there, the angel comes, and it's just one thing happens after another. And, and they haven't put everything together yet. And uh, maybe that's kind of a good thing, because I think sometimes we're like, well, i got to have it all figured out before I share Jesus Christ. But here's this moment, and it doesn't click to the point that in verse 13, Jesus is walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And and they're just grieving, grieving, grieving. And God is walking next to them. And, you know, they actually think that this guy who's walking with them is a nincompoop because he doesn't know what's happened. And, <laughs> and I mean, it's it's almost comical. And and then finally it clicks. It clicks. And then there it is, verse 32, were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us when we were on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Burning hearts, burning hearts. Mm. I love that picture. And and to have that burning heart that, hey, wow, you're walking through life with your shoulders slumped, tears in your eyes, and oh, by the way, the man they put into the tomb, you know, three days ago, four days ago, he's next to you right now. He is just right next to you. Three days ago, and 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 then when they realize this, whoa, wait a second here, and I think that's something that we really miss out on, and and you know we've gotten so formulaic and mechanicalistic in our Christian experiences, and and uh, programmic, and and the world catches on to this stuff, and they're like, okay, I know what this is about, and they sort of check out. And, and and this is, you know, when we look at uh, the resurrection Christ encounters, it's just like, wow, wow. You know, when John is, is writing the book of Revelation, he's being given a message, and, and the, the first church is to the, 
you know, is the Church of Ephesus, and they've lost their first love experience. They've that they, they were just vibrantly, excitedly in, in love and, and very, very happy because of this great good news that you know Paul pens, "Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory?" Just this excited news. But after a while, it kind of you know like okay, we've heard that sermon before. We, we've you know yes, yes. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 know that now. It's old hat to us now. And now we're just going through motions now. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And we're kind of in that phase too, that that Laodicean church. We're kind of in that phase where we're just kind of going through motions. We've had that message for so long now. We know that sermon. And it, you know, and so how do we get that first love kind of ex- that excitement back that's for that question. for that message? Tom, that's you know? a good question. That's an, and uh, that's going to hopefully emerge as we're discussing. Unless Roger, I just uh, I think uh, it has to be personal, you know. And like Anar said, we are you know we're formulaic and um, yeah. And what did you call it about how we witness today? That, yeah, uh, context. We talked about how you know witnessing the last episode and said it was responding to. A, question that you had asked during that right towards the end there and i had something but we had to wrap up and um no it was uh we we witness like used car salesmen mm-hmm. um and by the way if you're a used car salesman who asked me to listen to this podcast you are this doesn't apply <laughs> we're not talking about you no we're my, about you. my brother my brother's <laughs> my brother's in the car business so i don't think you know you're okay I, well, okay yeah he, right. he'll be he'd be fine with okay that. Uh, so but, keep going <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, and not even used car. We just we 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 try to witness like a car salesman. Yeah. You know, and our in the our targets uh, for for witnessing become marks, yeah. just like a just like a street con man would, just like a smooth talking salesman would, and we treat it like that. Like if I say the right words, um, then I can get this person to come to church with me. Right. Because that's uh, that that was the context in the last episode. It was you know talked about how do you witness? How do you witness? And I said just why don't you go watch the Super Bowl with them or something? Yeah. And he said, well, what wh- what happens when it gets past the football and the you know whatever? Stop looking at it like that because that's what a, that's what a car salesman would do. I'm going to get this person's attention. Yeah. I'm going to create some sort of commonality with them, and I'm going to have all these like scripts and behavioral, um, you know, this sort of like psychological knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. going to get me to persuade this person to buy the product that I'm selling. I have selling. my flip sheet. I have my lines of hooks. Yeah, yep. and we treat Jesus and the gospel like a product. Yeah, a product that we're selling, and not to be like you said, talked about that passion. But again, we they do the same thing in 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 in, uh, in sales. I remember when I was in college, I had this brief stint where I was a Hundred percent commission salesman of the TriStar home cleansing system, right? Don't call it a vacuum cleaner. It's <laughs> home a home cleanse. cleansing system, <laughs> right? You know, and they had all these things you were supposed to say, and you're supposed to get in there and get in their heads, and you know, like, hey, you know, like, yeah, it's eighteen hundred bucks, but uh, you know, you don't you don't have to spend it all today. You know, we can finance it. We do the same thing. Hey, look, yeah, come in. Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't wear jewelry. We don't eat a lot of meat, um, if at all. Uh, you know, we, we, we do all these different things, but you don't have to jump in with both feet. Mm. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Baby steps, you know, but the goal is always to get them to become a fully assimilated Adventist. Mm. We're not actually trying to spread the gospel at that point. We're trying to sell people a product mm. because it's a product that we've bought. <clears throat> yeah. And it's not a product that we bought because we necessarily believe in it. It's a product that we bought that, well, I got taken. <laughs> <coughs> now you're getting deep, Roger. That's how we treat it, though. That's how, yep, yep. And a that's horribly disrespectful uh, to the actual message of Scripture. Yep, I think uh, the way that we do it, where it's we're just peddling this thing, and you know we're successful if we get enough people to buy it. Yep, I, well, I, I'm glad you put that big light because when I'm thinking about the resurrection accounts, it's interesting. There's not one single linear you know, story. It's multiple stories. You got the disciple of the road to Emmaus, you've got uh, Jesus walks through the door, you got the Mary at the tomb and, and others, and it's just like, that's kind of the way it is when people meet the Lord. There's not one, 
single you know progression here's question one mm. question two and green light green light right. green light you're done and it's like it's everything will be unique and different in the context and the background of that person i love that and we all meet the same lord yeah but we each meet him in our own unique ways yeah exactly yeah. just like any other person absolutely and somebody you know. sees the empty tomb somebody sees him on the road somebody sees the cloth that's folded there and 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 uh and some people see the nail prints, you know, wasn't it Thomas? Mm. Yep. Unless I see the marks yeah. and then he shows it to him. And, and Jesus that, didn't rebuke him. No, he didn't. He didn't. He just said, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Touch it. You know, and you want to see that's fine, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. Without seeing. Yep. And that, that's not a rebuke. No. And, and, and that's a profound sentence right there in of itself. But I want to just spend a time here in uh, Luke 24, uh, 36 to 49. And this is Jesus appears to the disciples. And uh, verse 36 in Luke 24, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. See, it is, my, it is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as, as you see I have. And then it says, verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. Mm. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And it says here, and then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures uh, and he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for, um, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And, and, and uh, so it kind of just, I, as I was looking at this, I see a progression here and it begins with a talk with scripture in the context of they were wondering. And this leads to an encounter which leads to understanding which leads to preaching to all the nations. And it's sort of a sequence here in, in some degree. And, and, you know, it's that encounter. And again, this is, this is sort of a, I don't want to use the term messy, but it's not a clean, if we were going to write this script, it's not something you just sit down and say, okay, uh, you know, two plus two equals four. It's just really just almost, it's an organic moment that's just happening. You know, and, and like, it's almost like Jesus is saying as he's opening scripture to them, lest this become too starchy, Ooh, anybody yeah. have some fish? I'm hungry. <laughs> like, he loves to sit down to a meal with us. You know, mm -hmm. he, he either brings the food or he comes when there's food being served. I mean, he fellowships with us in the context of food. I'm glad you said that because... He doesn't grab him by the by the cloak and say, "Listen, guys, I'm only here for 40 more days. I got a lot of stuff I got to tell you. Get out your notebooks, start <laughs> writing, uh, because I'm not here that long, much longer." And and it says, "I'm hungry." Anybody have? And so there again, it's in these random moments, pivotal moments that we can see the love of God and and the presence of God yeah. with us. And that's something that I think we 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 are we, we miss. And even even as believers, you know, our lives can be so packed, our schedules are so tight that we don't that we miss out on these encounters. And mm -hmm. it's also important to point out like you know, I think most people probably know this, but why were the disciples surprised? Hmm because they thought they knew what the whole Messiah thing was about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They had, they already thought they had it figured out from soup to nuts and they were yep. wrong. They yep. thought they were rich and in need of nothing. Right. And God, it wasn't that God was like, kind of like showing them up or anything like that. They just, they had, they had this, this, this sort of like framework, you know, okay, God, this is the, this is the framework. And this is how you're going to do it, and God's like, no, that's not, that's not how I'm going to do it. And actually, <laughs> I, 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 this might be a little bit like a bit of tangent, but just because we're talking about it, 
one of the things that <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I just can't I can't help being critical of, of <laughs> institutions because the seriously because look this is going to stay on what, the internet for all <laughs> time. time all time I'm not saying anything that I wouldn't say to well I you're, mean you're my pastor I'm sitting right across you're, from you're, you you're a young man and I mean, you're this unless Jesus comes soon you know we're talking it might be sitting on the internet for 20. I guarantee, I guarantee I will stand by this. Okay, let's hear it. Um, you know, we, we, we try to box God in. And to go back to the thing about like the, the uh, car salesman thing, the product. The, and the thing is, we, we, we say that the product we're, we're, we're trying to sell is Jesus and the gospel. But the product that we're trying to sell is a particular church membership. Mm. That's what we're trying to sell. And this thing with the the disciples and being surprised about the resurrection because they had a particular ethnic institutional system that they thought God was going to operate in. And it's hard to try and figure out, I mean, all the way back to the first century, you had the first century heretics, you had, um, you know the things that Paul was dealing with in Romans and uh, in Corinth, and you know people say like, oh, you know, what's the relationship between you know Judaism and uh, Christianity? What was the relationship between the temple and Christianity? The priesthood, the scribes, the Pharisees, all these guys. We have all these different ways of describing it, mm-hmm. and. You know, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we have this very particular view about the purpose and meaning of the temple. But I want to want to throw a little monkey wrench in it. I believe it's was it Second Samuel, First Samuel? It's where where David gets the uh, the ark back. Yep, he's dancing. I just I just was reading this like a week ago, two weeks ago. And Michael rebukes him, sort of. Yeah, right. He, and so. Yeah. He's wearing, so I went back and I was reading it. I forget what the context was. It might have been week of prayer. It might have been here. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But I'm reading it. And David's wearing an ephod. All right. So those who don't know, the ephod was the priestly undergarment, mm-hmm. right? It was sort of this like white linen thing, right? And it's kind of open at the sides, you know, like a cloak almost that goes front and back. Think of like what the Knights Templar, you know, as they're like going into the Holy Land would have worn, you know, like just the front, just the back open on the sides. And so he's wearing this. I'm like, oh, you know, I never noticed that before. Cause in my mind, it was always like, he was like in his underwear, Yeah. but he wasn't, he was wearing the ephod. So I started to dig a little bit. I did some research. I, that really caught my eye. Why was he wearing this priestly right. garment? Well, here's the explanation. I'm going to get myself in so much trouble. Here's the explanation. David, when he conquered Jerusalem, inherited all the titles of the kings who had previously reigned there. Mm. One of whom was who? Melchizedek, Mm. who was a priest of the God Most High with no temple. Right. And no formal Levitical priesthood. So when we try to make these equivalencies between the priesthood, the Levites, the temple, the sanctuary service, and all that kind of stuff to the modern day church, we are not standing on scripture. Jesus's claim to priesthood is inherited, not from the temple, from David, his ancestor, because David conquered Jerusalem. Right. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Salem. So prophet, priest, and king, all of Jesus's titles are inherited from David, who did, the temple did not even exist when David was king, completely separate from that system. Mm -hmm. And so when we Mm -hmm. talk about what we're converting people to, the Jews thought that the Messiah was going to be linked to that system. They weren't paying very good attention to their scripture. Mm. Why was David wearing that ephod? And that just from that one word, I started digging. I'm right. like, whoa, that totally blew my mind. We have to stop focusing on institutions and and they got to be in this room. We got to get them into this building. 
or they're lost. No, man. Look, Jesus is going to save who Jesus is going to save. Yep. And that's where I think our mission is we get so focused. Go back to the car salesman. Car salesman's trying to do what? Hey, man, I got this nice Silverado. It's only going to cost you $110,000, but we can finance it. You know what I mean? And that's how we treat the church. Now, I got to be honest with you. Now, I don't, I don't want to sound like the car salesman. Oh, no, please push back. Push back. And, and here, because Paul wrestled with this whole concept. And in Romans and Corinthians, he says, hey, brother over there, sister over there, brother over there, brother over there, sister over there, you're all part of the body of Christ. Yes. And so that's where I think we just need to say, yeah, your name is written in the Lamb Book of Life, but until you move in, how do you live? You are part of this body. And I think that's, I mean, it still goes along with what you're saying because Paul even mentions the body's got all these different parts. Got the arm, the leg, the nose. Yeah, you can use those, but you know what I'm saying. And I'm not saying I'm not saying we should burn the church down. No, don't get me wrong here. <laughs> what Especially I'm now saying, since we're sitting it right now. Well, I'm a little <laughs> cold. My, my feet are cold. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I'm saying that, man. Like maybe we need to consider that we're just not doing it right. Because right. Let me let me put like so. COVID came. Like we all remember COVID. That's how this whole yep. you and me doing Sabbath school yep. started. Yep. So COVID comes, we can't meet together in person, right? And I remember David Dennis, the president of the conference at the time, coming and speaking here uh, on video. Well, he, yeah. we were in the building, yeah. but nobody else was. We were, But we were doing like our online service. And he said, this is going to fundamentally change how we do church. And I think in the future, you're going to see more house churches. Hmm. And then COVID ended and we were just like, oh, great, we can go back to church. And that whole idea came back. But... I just want to dwell on that for a minute. Imagine, I just put the bug in people's ears, right? You get a loose collective of house churches that come together once every however, whatever period of time to reconvene, make plans, and then go back out to their house churches, missionaries in their neighborhood. Now, when you invite somebody to church, you're just inviting them over for coffee mm. or Roma. Coffee's fine. <laughs> you know, or you're just inviting them over to watch a movie. Or to your house. Hey, fellowshipping. Yeah. Hey, I got a group. We get together on Saturdays. We worship. We're Christians. No strings attached. Just we're friends. You've been over to my house before. You're welcome to come over. We just maybe sing some songs, maybe do some Bible reading, just talk about life, you know. No formal structure. There's not going to be any pastors or priests there. It's just me, my family, and a group of friends. Imagine how that might work. Yeah, you know when I, when I teach worldviews, I, I put a on the whiteboard. I put a big circle, and I put God, the way, as the worldview, the central worldview, the way, and then I put little circles all the way around it. You know, with Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and atheism and 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 Christianity as all of these other worldviews on the outside of this, mm. and and I say you know all of you know as as a Christian. We're trying to get all of these other worldviews on the outside of the circle to come to to this worldview, but it's still on the outside of the circle. The the worldview that God is still trying to pull Christians towards is the way, which mm-hmm. is different than what the Christian worldview is. You know, we're, 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 there's still a shift that needs to happen. The Protestant Reformation has not ended yet. We're still trying to pull away from the Edict of Milan and all of the compromises that were brought into the church through through Constantine. I use that just as a, a reference point. It's not not that mm-hmm. clean, but you know we're we're not done yet, and there is still a shift in thinking, organization, and maybe even theology that needs to happen to bring us back to that trajectory that began, where Christ is the head, the mm-hmm. only head, and the Holy Spirit is the administrator. The only administrator, you know. I think there's still a, a shift that that, that that has to happen. You know? I, I like what I like what we're, we're talking about here. I just wanted to uh, quote from Friday's lesson. Um, kind of brings us back to our, mm-hmm. you know, where where are we called to end up. And I think this is well put. Our mission work must come from deep love and thankfulness for what Jesus has yeah. done and is doing in our lives. Any other motivation is misguided. And and I think um, that's really kind of summarized what we were just discussing here for the last few minutes. Mm-hmm. And and there's a quote here from probably my favorite book by Ellen White, Christ's Object Lessons. 
Our life is to, be, is to be bound up with the life of Christ. We are to draw constantly from him, partaking of him, the living bread that came down from heaven, drawing from a fountain ever fresh, ever giving forth its abundant treasures. I mean, just picture that, that image in your mind. And this fountain ever fresh, abundant treasures. And, and you think, okay, um, do organized religion, any religion, do that's always, is that, could that, does that describe that organized, I'm going to use the word institutional religion, and ever fresh. And that's, that's where, we, where the rub is. Sometimes it's, have, no, it's stale. It ain't living water. It's stale, old uh, swamp water. And and this it calls us to a authentic, real encounter with God, the risen Savior, and might be in the road to Emmaus, might be in upper room, it could be anywhere. But we need that, yeah. and 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 I think it's <clears throat> it's a constant, constant uh, um, a calling because the early church gets built, and we want to, we've got to get to Acts because. Acts chapter 1 really helps us see kind of what was going on in the early church. And and it's kind of interesting. I've often wondered, you know, uh, the disciples, they, you know, we, we know the early church, very early church had 11 disciples because Judas was absent. And they felt compelled to find a replacement. And, and maybe they needed an even number. They couldn't work with an odd number. But, you know, they chose Matthias, and, and the rest is history. But it's very interesting is, was that, did God say, yeah, you better find a replacement, or could they have gone forward with 11? I'm sure we would come back to it, 12 is 12. It's a very common biblical number, and it's nice and tidy, <laughs> you know, and we like things tidy. And maybe that's what, what's, what's going on here. But, you know, they're getting organized, and it's Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 12. This is when they choose Matthias. And it's this really interesting experience where they choose lots. I mean, that's just, for us, we'd like, that's kind of weird. But that's <laughs> what they did. And, and uh, they get organized. And, and I think it's an important part there of our story because we don't want to have... Let's just pick on our faith. I think it's where memberships is 20 million people. It does no, you know, to have 20, minute, 20 million random people just covering the earth who all believe the same thing and, and just, but they're independent from each other. Um, that's not healthy. It's not good. And I know we like to use the word efficient, but it's not efficient. <laughs> And, and so there's a fine line there. It's, it's, that's why I, th I keep thinking, that coming back to Paul and his, his metaphor of the body. And, you know, if you're walking down the road and God forbid you see, you know, a, a random body part, <laughs> you'd call 911. Sure. You'd say, this isn't right. There is a body part on the road. It doesn't belong here. And so, uh, you know, because that's wrong. And, and so... We'd say have to say the same thing if we're using Paul's imagery. I say you can't just be an independent by yourself. You you need somehow to be something bigger, and so the early church is trying to figure that out. And of course, they go into whole other things about waiting on tables and the formation of deacons. But um, you know, it's it's about people, and and then the people. They were praying and ultimately come up with a policy. I'm trying to have a little alliteration sure. here, but sure. people praying and then leads to policy. And and that policy, of course, was unique for that setting. And I think that's kind of where we maybe fell in love more with policy than we do with people and praying mm. and, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's easy to just stick to the policy and, and kind of turn off it's easier kind of go to auto uh, pilot auto um, cruise control and and uh, just put on the the lane departure too and just kind of <laughs> cruise down 
cruise down 190 and and uh no it's and it's an active engaging moment not there's no room for passivity here yeah you are crew you are driving a vehicle down the road a two three thousand pound vehicle that could kill a person and hands on the wheel be in tune go the right speed or you know you know what i'm saying I'm, i don't want to carry this metaphor too far but there's something amazing going on here and and there's a point there where maybe we'll pick on laodicea where you know they let's put on cruise control let's turn on the lean departure and just just kind of sit back and mm-hmm. and listen to some nice music and daydream while we're going down 190 or or the mass pike so anyhow i've talked long enough about it but what do you guys think about about the acts one experience here any thoughts as i've been just talking here about this Well, you used the word policy. I don't need. We like that word, don't we? <laughs> I almost have a PhD in public policy. Um, so I don't know that. I just don't like. I don't like that description. The disciples did organically in the moment what they thought was best. Amen. Yeah. After praying and consulting with one another. Yep. Uh, there's and there's more like you know number imagery there. It says the number of people were about 120, which means yep. there were you know there's still that 12 number there. Was that part of it? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, I I don't know what they were thinking. I I know that they were praying. They decided to cast lots and choose one from among them as a replacement for Judas. Mm-hmm. Do we know what that means? No, we don't. No. Other than he was going to be kind of a disciple of Jesus, right? Uh, obviously, was somebody that was with them for a while. Um, and I, I don't like – the thing is like that word policy, we read way too much into text sometimes. Right, we don't like ambiguity. There's some texts that are just ambiguous. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the apostles were thinking when they replaced Judas. Um, and then in the in the lesson, you know, it's talking about you know, preparation for ministry and, and 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 staying motivated for ministry. Um, I think the overarching overarching lesson is um, the willingness to serve, because. I think that's really what it was. He was there and he was willing to serve. And, you know, we we, we have these discussions about, like, even in our church history, right, in Adventist church history, George Knight wrote a book on it, you know, this the movement to organization, you know, and, you know, how that kind of progressed over the next century or so, century and a half. And we get so wrapped up in, like you said, policy, like, I just don't, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't like it because we, we, it's not even cruise control. The policy ends up replacing this book right here that's sitting in front of the three of us. Yep. And our final rule is this. Yep. Not, yeah. not some committee's interpretation of what this means in the context of X, Y, and Z. You know what yep. I mean? And I, and I, th- what I think is, and, Forbid, for, forgive me for keeping with alliteration, but I, I go back to the posture of the early church. You know, how to get it in, how to get it in. Uh, you're yeah. such a preacher. Oh, another P word. Here we go. But their posture was like they were praying, you know, and 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 they they found themselves in a in a just a pivotal, crucial moment where, like, okay, God we've experienced something that defies logic, defies words, exceeds words. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with it? And, and you know, we see here in Acts 1, 2, 3, comes to the point where they're actually sharing, they're selling their possessions, they're sharing with people, they're giving. I mean, it's an amazing moment. It's so anti-culture, uh, counter-cultural, mm-hmm. where we're tending to hoard and protect for ourselves there's a magical moment where they're you need help I, I, I sell this piece of property 
and here it is. I'll give it to you. I'll give you the money. And it's just like, wow, you can't explain it. And, and there's a, actually, I, this is just some off the cuff exegesis here. 12 is a number of completion. Yeah. So I think we should be paying attention to the theology. And the theology is that God's purpose, God's mission is, is always going to be complete. Even if from a human perspective, it's mm. incomplete. If we're missing something, right? God will always find a way to supply what he needs. That's, that's how I would explain that it's good. theologically, right? Because yep. they're probably like, oh, there were 12 of us. Now there's 11. There were 12 tribes of Israel. What are we going to do? This, uh, it's not Like you said, it's an odd number. It's 11. Oh, the 12th number of completion. What are we going to do? God can't have an incomplete. You know, but yep. they, they approached it and the, 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 the theology of it, I can't get into their heads, but the as a reader in the 21st century, mm-hmm. God will complete his mission. Yep. Period. Yep. And it's, he's, he's going to do it in spite of us, in spite of our policies, in spite of our ma- church manuals mm-hmm. and our subcommittees and finance committees <laughs> and church boards and all the other yeah. things that the, the multiplication, you know, of, of busy work that we give ourselves. Um, you know, God's going to, God's going to, He's going to make it happen. We just need to be ready to participate when the time comes. You know, and sometimes we, mm. I think, often we take a a view of what happened in that Acts church in that first century church, and we say, "Look at what they did," and we need to mimic that. We need to repl- you know, duplicate yes. that. And the only thing there that needs to be duplicated is they prayed, yep. and they studied, and the yep. Holy Spirit guided them in their context to solutions that made sense for them and for the people that the Holy Spirit was reaching towards. You know, later, talking about organization, late, you know, later the Jerusalem Council meets because they're having to, to work through some issues, some questions about, about uh, Gentile converts. And so they come up with some, some conclusions. Yep. And in our church context, we would read that and say, they spoke with authority. This is how the church is supposed to move now. Yeah. Only yeah. that's not how it was. The church didn't do that. They, they said, oh, those are great suggestions. Paul said, great suggestions. I'm not going to practice that, but that's good for you guys. Go ahead and go ahead and do that. We're still going to get circumcised. You yeah. know? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and so they didn't. It wasn't a council like the general council that says, we have the authority. You have to do what we're telling you to do. Right. They said, We've met, we've prayed, we've talked about it. Here's some suggestions. You do with it what you want. Like, you that's go. how I read it. It's very organic. The the Holy Spirit has to guide, and no man's master over another. Right. And you say council as if it was like some sort of like formal body, but it wasn't. Right. Paul probably, you know, Paul went there. He, he's in, in like in Galatians and places. Very clear about the people he talked to. Yeah. He went to Peter. And Peter was probably the oldest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then James because he was Jesus's brother and. He goes to, you know, probably what happened is Peter and James were like, hey, what do you think we should do with this Paul character? You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's got a sketchy past. And they were probably like, hey, maybe we should call the other guys and see what they think. Mm-hmm. And so they called them all together, right? But, and this, and this is, oh, man. I, clock, I don't I know, I know. On, the clock ticks on. But the thing is, we get so wrapped up, like, and I want to bring it back to the lesson itself, right? Because we talk about preparation for ministry. Yeah, and we turn it into this really formal thing. It's not right. So, so the Roman Catholic position is those twelve guys were bishops. Yep. Right. And they had like geographical authority, mm-hmm. and then they appointed their successors, who appointed their successors, who appointed their successors, and yep. now we have the Roman mm-hmm. Catholic Church today, and those bishops because. It's basically magic because Jesus knew them and then they touched each other and said, like, I appoint you. Then their authority magically goes to the next guy. Right. Poppycock, right? But then you look at the way we do stuff, right? And I'm glad, man, I'm going to get my, I love getting myself in trouble. But look at what the General Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church says. We're the highest authority. Right. The highest authority under heaven. What? No. No, well, here's, that's not. That's lost the plot, dude. Here's Paul. He's he's you know, he says I'm an apostle appointed by Jesus. Right. Jerusalem Council. You don't recognize me as an apostle. Don't care. I'm an apostle appointed by Jesus. I'm over here doing ministry. You guys want to come and lay hands on me? That's great. I'll accept it. I'm going to do ministry whether you whether you appoint me or not, whether you ordain me or not. I'm going to do ministry. Right. 
because Jesus has appointed me. And they weren't really the Holy excited Spirit has empowered me about Paul's whole mission anyway. Like he, like yeah, they were going to like the Gentiles were going to be pretty much ignored. Yeah. You know, it was the Gentiles that showed up, right? But they weren't actively going out and preaching to the Gentiles. Paul, they weren't really excited about Paul. You know what I mean? And Paul and Peter yeah. did not they never I don't know that they ever really like kissed and made up. You did? <laughs> You think so? I, I do, but I don't want to. But, but now that's a, a sidetrack. But, but Paul, yeah, but I just, pertains to, to our fair, lesson. But Paul yeah. does his own thing. Yeah. But that, that's my yeah. point. Yeah. He, he does All his own thing. All of this pertains to our lesson. And then when, and then when, 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 you know, Paul split. You know, he has multiple, uh, you know, part ministry partners over the years, and they they come to some disagreement. He doesn't bad bad mouth those guys. They go off and do their own thing. He goes off and does his own thing. But we, I don't think that ministry has to be this. Like, I guess bring it back to the lesson doesn't have to be this formal thing. And and I think that's important because when we when I look at Acts chapter 1 it's interesting what they what it says that the good book says therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who had been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Yes. So that's the criteria. The policy is have you been with Jesus? Which is really I love it. It's beautiful. It's pure, it's simple. It's clean. I mean, have you been with Jesus? Yeah. And 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 it begin with bon, John's baptism and where Jesus was taken up. With. So they wanted somebody who had had that experience. Yeah. And and you know, coming back to the lesson, my friends, for those who are uh, you know bearing with us here in our in our discussion, we're having a great discussion here in 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 our studio. Um, <laughs> you know, to have that. It doesn't. You don't have to go to a seminary or have a major no. or minor in religion. You don't even have to know the the books of the Bible and how many books there are. It's you don't have to know this to have you been with Jesus. Yes, and and start right there. Start right there. Don't wait till you can explain, you know, the messianic prophecies of Jesus or the twenty three hundred days, whatever it may be, the state of the dead. Have you been with Jesus? And that's really the starting point, and even the finish point. One of the reasons why Jesus was the only, the monokinase, the only one qualified to come in and do the, do the mission that he was coming to earth to do was because he was the one who knew the Father the best. He was coming to reveal the character of the Father, to reveal him to us, and nobody knew him like Jesus knew him. Just like those, no one's going to know Jesus except for, you know, like the ones who have an experience with him. Mm-hmm. You know, so the ones who have the experience, Anna, what you're saying, those who have the experience, those are the ones who are going to be the front the front runners. Yep. And and this kind of goes along with what we're saying. There's another quote here from Christ's Object Lessons. There can be no growth or fruit for fruitfulness in the life that is centered in self. If you've accepted Christ as a personal savior, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. Talk of the love of Christ, tell others of his self-sacrificing death in their behalf as you receive the spirit of Christ, the spirit of unselfish love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. Your faith will increase, your convictions deepen, your love be made perfect. That's a really powerful process, the way it's described there. And it's really counterintuitive in the sense that, oh boy, you know, now I've accepted Christ, my sins are washed away, I, I don't want to get dirty again. Mm. So I am going to move away from, you know, those places that might make me dirty, or might, I'm going to move away from people who might make me dirty, people who might make me dirty. And so that actually is an antithesis to what we just read and oh sorry no go 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 i want to point something out connected to the old testament because that's where we draw a lot of our purity stuff especially in the seventh day adventist church right what was the point of that purity stuff in the old testament it made you ritually unclean Mm -hmm. which meant that you could not participate in temple activities correct right which is how you come to have communion with God. Which is how you came to have communion with God. Right. Well, guess what? Praise the Lord. Jesus is forever clean. Yeah. 
I don't have to worry about all that ritual impurity stuff. Nothing that I touch. That's why Jesus could say, it's not what you put into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. Jesus could say that, right? It applies to us because Jesus is the ultimate ritually pure sacrifice, right? Jesus can touch us and stay pure forever and still offer himself for us, right? That's why. So... We don't have to, like you said, we don't have to move away. Well, I can't, I can't go to the bar and witness to people there. And not even witness people. I'm not suggesting yeah. you should go yeah, by, yeah. like, go by a bunch of steps to Christ and head down to, um, you know, uh, Simple Man Saloon in Clinton or <laughs> uh, what else is down there? Liberty Tavern, yeah. uh, whatever. You know, I'm not saying that we should do that. I mean, if that's what you're called to do knock yourself out but what i'm saying is if you have if, if you have a friend who's like man i i'm i'm going through a, you know whatever i'm going through a rough time you know like my spouse left me yeah. or whatever you know i lost my dad i met i'm at the liberty saloon if i'm you know i'm six deep you know i just need somebody to talk to you go in there and you talk to him sure. mm-hmm. you know what i mean you sit there at the bar and you and you talk to him there's nothing wrong with that you're not going to be ritually impure. I had a Sabbath school teacher. I might have told this story before. I don't know. I've told this story a few times over the years. And I had a Sabbath school teacher and uh, uh, adventurer director. Like back then it was called Trailblazers. But huh. um, I remember what it was called pre-Pathfinders and then Trailblazers. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was Trailblazers. This is back in the 80s. And, okay. uh, but a girl that I was in Trailblazers with ended up becoming a stripper. Right, she left the church, grew up, turned eighteen, wanted to make money, went to a strip club, became an exotic dancer. And when my Sabbath school teacher found out about that, she went down there and found out the schedule. The girl's name was Lily. I don't remember her last name, but found out the schedule that this girl was on, and waited in that bar, that strip club, with women disrobing and guys drinking and throwing money on the table or whatever and sat there and waited and waited and waited until that girl came on stage and went over to her and said, you know, Lily, I'm here because Jesus loves you and I'm here to tell you to come home. Now, I don't know if she ever did, mm. yeah. but do, do we have the courage to do stuff like that? That's mission, not going to school somewhere and memorizing the, like you said. And you know, that, that's all, gotta be a, a real conviction from God. Or, or a burning desire that that are, we're not our hearts burning within us. Yeah. Another. Actually, and, can I give you one other very similar story? I'm yeah. sorry. I know. No, no, we, no. I know we don't have a lot of more time, but go back to the other one, comfort zone. Um, one of the coolest uh, missional groups that I found over the years. There's a. Um, it's going to sound. It sounds really bad, but their mission is awesome. It's called Triple X Church. Yeah, and this guy, he got convicted of the gospel and he felt drawn to, he lives in like LA. I don't know if he had like a history in the pornography business or not, but he decides like, hey, these people need to hear the gospel. These Jesus loves these people and nobody's trying to reach them. Mm. And so he creates this organization called Triple X Church, prints up, you know, literature, Bibles, um, you know, whatever they have like volunteer counselors and stuff like that. And he actually goes to these pornographers conventions, which you can only, Im- I mean, I can only imagine the, the debauchery that goes on in these places, but he actually goes there. He buys a booth at these places in like LA and Las Vegas and stuff. And he actually goes there and he actually preaches the gospel. He's converted. You can find him. You can go on YouTube and you can find some of these men and men and women who worked in the pornography industry and they got saved and they left and they, you know, they've, they've changed their lives. They're married, they're raising children, they have normal jobs. I mean, it's amazing, amazing work. And could you imagine the courage of that guy to say that this is, this is the, this is the demographic. This is my audience, right? That's who I'm going after. That's a power. That is a powerful story. And, and you know, there's an there's an example here in the New Testament. We alluded to it earlier, and and I think part of the early church was they created this other world place, and 
And it's interesting in Acts chapter 2, 41, um, uh, it talks about those who accepted the message. They were baptized. About 3,000 were added. And verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. This is what we referred to earlier. They sold pod, uh, property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continually met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added the number daily, those who were being saved. I mean, it's really, it almost looks like a commune here. Hmm. And, and, but it's interesting because uh, some time ago, I, I remember hearing an interesting story about a church that um, said any every member in this church will be debt free, and they, from what I understand, they essentially follow this example, where if somebody had a debt, they helped them pay it. And I think they maybe we're talking about home mortgages. We're not just talking about unsecured debt. We're talking about secured debt, and and that you know, I remember hearing that just passing in the news and. So that's a pretty cool thought. And, you know, it's raising the bar for everybody. Um, you have to, it calls us to dependence and, and interdependence. And, and it kind of makes us, brings us into an, a world that's like, well, I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. But when you look at what we happen here in the, in the New Testament, and it's a real looking out for each other that is like, wow, you know, and it's, and that's, that's pretty, pretty bold, and risky, and and that's something we see here with the the early church. They they did put it on the line. Well, you know, Jesus he he redefines family boundaries, and he says, "All, all who come into me, all who are part of my my believing system, if you come into me and believe in me, we're like brothers and sisters now. We are." He says, yes, I, I understand. Those are my mom and my brothers and sisters. But everyone who believes in me, you are my mom and my brothers and sisters. Yep. He's all about extending the family ties. And the way we do family goes deeper and deeper and bigger and bigger. And so now that's where I like where you're going with that because the church had growing pains. <laughs> and Paul's like, yeah. look at this when he writes Ephesians and and Corinthians was a messy church. And they there was the Gentiles, the Jews, it was the rich, the poor, and you know, there's they're not really getting along very well. You know, there's lawsuits, there's incest, it's a messy mess situation. You know, you really wouldn't want to be a member there, to be honest with you, because there's so much drama. <laughs> makes our church look like it makes us, like yeah, looks really golden ready, boys. Ready ready tra for translation. <laughs> And so, you know, he said, listen, guys, this is going back to the metaphor of the, the body. You know, you're all part of the same body. And, and then, of course, the clincher is 1 Corinthians 13. He goes, 1 Corinthians 12, you're a part of the body. Boom. 1 Corinthians 13, this is love. Love suffers long. You know, and he just gives that description that we've, we're familiar with. And, and so it's like a reminder. And that's, that's. I think probably part of the problem is it's so easy for us to take our eyes off of Jesus and put them onto the other person and say, you know, I don't really like you or, or, or man, look at that guy over there. He's got it all together. Look at, I mean, he has got it together. Look, he, he's like the clothes he's got, he's got to be rich. So I'm going to hang out with that guy and ignore others. And, and so that's, that's, uh, you know, and to Paul saying, "No, no, no! You're not. You're, you're losing the original purpose." Oh, I thought I'm looking at Roger. Though maybe you're gonna. Oh, I well, I, it was just joke. You were talking about like you know you're all part of the same body, you know, and then he defines love. And I said, well, but Jesus also said, if your right eye causes you to offend, pluck it out and cast it into the fire. Yeah. So, <laughs> be Slight, careful. Slightly different. Be slightly careful. Yeah. And, and oh man, oh man. But it, it's uh, interesting. It was a joke. It was no, a I joke. gotcha. Um, but First Corinthians thirteen, love. Yeah, you know, here it's getting pr practical. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not bow. It is not proud. Ellen White, she actually says we should read 1 Corinthians 13 every day. Mm. Think about that. 1 Corinthians 13, read it every day. And 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 it's powerful because I think Paul is saying, here's the how-to do church. This is it. And, of course, what's so powerful about 1 Corinthians 13, since God is love, take the word love and put replace it with the word God. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. And it's like, wow. And just take that and really me- meditate on it for a while. So, well, and that, in terms of mission, too, um, it helps the church to refocus because then our focus becomes one of our primary purposes is to uh, help each other carry one another's burdens. Right, and then according to the world, well, if that's your purpose, you don't want to expand too quickly because then you get overwhelmed. But the church says, "No, man, everybody gets to come in, and then we get to share equally, sharing each other's burdens." Right, that's a really beautiful part of the 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 gospel. And I like what we're going to wrap up here, but that's the picture. We're, you know, we so often say God calls us to give, and well, we're going to give with a purpose. So I'm going to give so this person's life gets turned around. No, the challenge is we're actually just called to give. We're called to love. And we like to see this, well, if I love that person, what's the end result? Hmm. Well, I I mean, is it... And we'd like to see a result, and there are results, but no, we're just called to love. Yeah. I mean, I I don't disagree with that. But at the same time, I think there's this, we should, like, you know, say you have somebody with an addiction problem, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to just keep giving, 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 oh, giving. Oh no! Wait, wait. You want to you want to be able like, hey, listen, man, we don't help, we don't mind helping you. We're that's that's our job. This is right. the church. We're here to help you, but you gotta you gotta help yourself too. You have to, you know what I mean? Like that's, I mean, that's in historically, that's one of the biggest things that the church has done. Like, hey, you're in trouble. You got to turn your life around. Cool. Come to this community. We're not going to judge your past, but we are going to. Make sure that you try to walk into the future, you know, in a different direction. And I totally agree with you. I'm going to add, we, we're called to give not what somebody wants, but what somebody needs. Mm-hmm. That's tough. And that that's where the, that's the real challenge. It's tough to, to look somebody in the eye and tell them, I don't think you want what you need. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really hard. Yeah. They feel judged, condescended. And, yeah. And, and, and I, dare I say... Where we have failed, and we being all Christians, is the church is called to be more communal than we were used mm-hmm. to. And we need accountability. We need more transparency. And this sort of came up in the pastor's meeting today that really nobody articulated it. But we need somebody who say, hey, did you, are you exercising today? Are you, did you spend enough time with your, with your wife, with your children? Did you um, have a good devotional life? and at today and you know it's easy to cut corners and all these things because of everything we want to get done in a day but really um you know and and are you a good steward of your time your money today and and um you know these we need to get more personal and and that that's really where the where the I think that's where discipleship is at. It's not a corporate thing. It's a personal thing. Yes. Absolutely. it's way easier to say that to people who are your friends. Yeah, of course. Than just the guy that I might see uh, at church every week. Yeah. There there you go. There you go. So uh, listen, I want to just give a quick plug for our next podcast, Mission to My Neighbor. So for those of us who are here in the podcast room, kind of be thinking about this pretty powerful, life-changing title there. And hopefully we know our neighbors' names and have a connection. And how do we do this? So with that thought, Roger, will you pray for us as we close? Certainly, sir. Lord God in heaven, we thank you once again, as always, for the privilege and the honor of... um, being a part of this project, this mission that you have going on here, Lord. And sometimes we get off on tangents, but that's because every person in this room, and I hope every person in this church, um, has has a passion for the mission of this organization and this church. And so I ask, Lord, that you will um, help us to spread that passion, prepare us for mission, not because we 
go to seminary or because we went to enough Bible studies or we passed a test. But help us go on mission because we've encountered you and that we want to take that encounter out into the world. Lead this church, this congregation. Um, lead the pastor here uh, in, in how he uh, heads up this church and leads us um, in, in, in a missional direction. And give us the, the, uh, the courage and the willingness and the humility in the humility to um, accept the mission that you give to us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you. And may you, may all of us go forth on God's mission. God bless you. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath School class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath School and 11.15 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication Media Ministry. If you were blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.